Hey friend, this is Ryan Thomas. We're so blessed and grateful you're listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are quite simply the best and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Well, how many times have we heard it in the media? There are two Americas, the big cities on the coast and the small towns and countryside between. Different cultures, different values, and always somehow at odds. But with the rise of suburbia and the incredible complexity of each and every one of us, Mr. Brandon O'Brien says it's time for a deeper understanding of each other than the labels allow. His new book, Not From Around Here, What Unites Us, What Divides Us, and How We Can Move Forward, takes us to fish in an Arkansas creek, to a friendly neighborhood cookout, and inside a New York City subway. And he explains why, as followers of Jesus, we have a real interest and a real opportunity to unite the divides that do separate us in our country and beyond. My good man, is this fine day proving a pleasant one for you thus far? (laughs) Yes, it is. Thanks. So far, so good. Uh, We're so glad to hear that. So let's just cut to the heart of it right away. Are there two Americas branded? A cosmopolitan bastion of progressiveness in a middle America that looks like a Rockwell painting? (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, uh, there certainly is if, if all you know of America is what you hear in the media um, and what you hear on talk radio and other places that, uh, that kind of paint these two places at odds with each other. But um, my, uh, my experience living in several places in the U.S. is that the reality is a lot more complicated than that. And, uh, and thankfully uh, that there's, you know, actually a lot more that we have in common then uh, then separates us in important ways. There is something that you introduced to us that you call the single story. And it's pretty much, as I read, exactly what I was doing there, calling the, the cities and the urban coastal areas uh, the way that I did and then describing Middle America as a, hmm. a Norman Rockwell painting. It's the single <laughs> story. What does that mean, sir? Yeah, so uh, there's a, this great concept uh, of the single story is it really describes the way um, we often repeat the same sort of narrative about a place or a people group over and over and over again until that becomes the, the single uh, way that we understand them. And so, you know, a good example in uh, American politics, for example, is that, um, you know, right now in a lot of the media portrayals, middle America, small town, rural America is you know, misogynistic or uh, homophobic, or racist, and they're, you know, they're, they have, they're fearful, they're losing their jobs, and, and they're trying to grasp onto their dying way of life, right? That's mm-hmm. become kind of the single story that describes voters, for example, in the middle of the country, and the sort of single story that may describe uh, people on the coasts is that they're liberal, upper-class, elite, um, college-educated, um, white-collar workers who are trying to push um, liberal values down the throats of, you know, the typical American who's not like that. Yeah, so these two single stories um, become, uh, 
you know, kind of set up as the two ends of a spectrum and uh, that there's no similarities between them and there's this just huge gap that divides them. And um, I think if any of us who have lived somewhere um, for any length of time know that the reality where we live is much more complicated than it's made out to be in those single stories. So we're going to step into your story in just a moment, which is fascinating because it takes you from Arkansas to the urban jungle of Manhattan, where we find you today. But maybe just this first, why does it matter for Christians, whether the perceptions are really true or not? You introduce the possibility for a trickle-down effect, to use the reagan term. <laughs> yeah, so I think the the thing that catches me in all of this as a Christian is that my experience anecdotally and uh and some from just you know research and other things is that the these perceptions that we have of different parts of the country these single stories that determine how we vote and what um policies we prefer and who we identify as our enemy that you know those those single stories actually kind of cut through the christian community meaning that we're more likely to um we're more likely to view somebody who's regionally or politically different from us uh, as kind of an outsider, even if they're a Christian like we are, rather than to view them as a fellow brother, sister in Christ. And so this regional and political divide that's sort of summarized by talking about urban and rural America um, has become a dividing wedge even within the church. And that that's a real problem. That really is. You, you use the shorthand term in the book, divided by regional values instead of united by Christian values, which is quite convicting. Mm. That's right, yeah. Well, and the thing is, we can. I think it's really easy for us to see how some other Christian might be shaped by their cultural values, but we don't see how we ourselves are shaped by our cultural values. And so I think one of the things that I hope the book will do is to help people you know, by hearing some stories, a lot of them about me and about other people to help identify the ways that maybe um, they've been shaped by the places they live more profoundly than they realized. Um, And I think once you do that, then you have a lot more empathy for people who are different from you. And and hopefully that will give you pause to listen and, um, and try to learn from one another instead of to view each other as the enemy. Mr. Brandon O'Brien is with us, the author of Not From Around Here, What Unites Us, What Divides Us, and How We Can Move Forward. So your personal journey is at the heart of this message. Give us a sketch of where you grew up first, if you would, in the noble land of Bentonville, Arkansas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Bentonville, which is in uh, the northwest part of Arkansas. And my wife pointed out to me after we had been married for some years that I never say I'm from Arkansas. I always say I'm from Northwest Arkansas, which is, I think, another one of those geographic things, right? If you live in Manhattan, then everything west of the Hudson River is just middle America. But once you kind of get, you know, once you get into a a place, then you start making all kinds of divisions. I'm not from Arkansas. I'm from Northwest Arkansas, you know, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, the Bentonville at the time was a relatively small town. Um, 16, 17,000 people, and we had uh, w- uh, several major industries in the area, trucking and and um, poultry and farming and others, but the big one was Walmart right there in our hometown, 
and um, and I spent a lot of my time outdoors. Uh, my dad lived on a farm uh, in a, a couple towns over, and so I spent a lot of time there. Um, I spent a lot of time in, uh, as the book describes, in creeks fishing and looking for crawfish to use as bait and collecting golf balls on the creek that ran through the golf course uh, in the town just north of us. You know, it felt in some ways like an insulated place. We were in the mountains, and so it also kind of felt geographically insulated. And there were these outsiders that would move in to retire in our nice little town, and that just kind of affirmed for me that it was a great place to live because people who spent all their lives somewhere else would retire and then come to this you know great place um, for their retirement. And um, and so, yeah, we lived there. It was beginning to undergo change at the time. A lot of people moving in for Walmart and other things. Um, and then I just read an article today about uh, what the uh, writer called the uh, the cultural transformation of Bentonville, Arkansas, into a now it's a an artist foodie um, hotspot. So a lot of has changed in the last twenty years or so, and a lot of that change had begun um, when I was uh, a teenager and in high school. Um, and uh, so yeah, that's 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 where the story starts in that little town. I love the way you described that, and I'm kicking myself now because when you said Bentonville, when I read Bentonville, I was like, wait a second, that's where Walmart is headquartered, and I want to ask you but they always tell you never ask a question you don't know the answer to so i didn't do it because what if i'm wrong right you know <laughs> you uh you describe that process of growth and you describe it there in some really positive ways but there were some really challenging things about growth of that size and you talk about those at some length in the book as well yeah, that's right. So, I mean, one of the things that's happening in our town, um, socio sociologists call a town like Bentonville at the time a moral community, and it doesn't mean that it's it has particularly good morals or bad morals. It just means that it's the kind of town where that's small enough that people have the sense that they know everyone and that everyone kind of knows what the rules are and how you should behave. And um, there's a kind of a general shared set of values. And I think that began to shift in the years that I was in high school, especially, but definitely in college. And I come home pretty frequently during college. Um, and the town grew fast enough, and it grew because a lot of people were moving in. And so we lost that sense of moral community, that sense that everybody knows everybody and we share certain values. And I remember that creating a lot of confusion about you know, what's our mission as a church? Uh, it's certainly to reach the new people that are coming in, but how much do we accommodate to their expectations and tastes, and they might be different? How much do we have to protect ourselves against the influence of, you know, new people coming in and bringing new values? Um, and, you know, it was, a. It, I think, it's interesting looking back, because I think one of the things that some people feared is that we were going to lose our way of life, that our town was going to change so dramatically that we we wouldn't recognize it anymore and in some ways that's exactly what has happened i mean the it's a very different place now than it was then uh not to say that the change has been all bad but um and, and a lot of it has been good um but there's that sense that the way of life that we knew is slipping away and we have to protect it and that became kind of a theme not just in our social life but also in our christian life which is that uh you know, an important part of discipleship is resisting these 
cultural influences that want to degrade our values. And so I think one of the things, I obviously didn't recognize it at the time, but one of the things looking back that uh, I think is so informative about that time is that I recognize that a lot of my Christian sort of discipleship values of resisting culture and, um, you know, holding on to uh, our, our way of doing things, et cetera, were, were very much mirrored in our larger sort of non-Christian cultural values of resisting these changes and, and that sort of thing. And so that's an example of how, you know, our cultural values can very easily kind of shape our way of being Christians where we live. Yeah. Well, it makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of us will will feel some real resonance with what you're describing there in many ways. We're talking with Mr. Brandon O'Brien, the author of Not From Around Here, What Unites Us, What Divides Us, and How We Can Move Forward for Faith Radio's On the Road. Ryan Thomas with you. And, you know, you have so much insight in the book, but before we really start digging into the research and the insight, we do have to close the loop because these days you dwell in the majestic urban jungle of Manhattan. So it's <laughs> it's basically a very similar daily existence to Bentonville, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's interesting. I, I like to tell people this when I travel home that the uh, during business hours, there are as many people on the island of Manhattan as in the entire state of Arkansas. Um, and Manhattan is something like, you know, 25 square miles. And so, um, so yeah, it's hard to imagine a more different existence. The things my children do and know how to do at five and seven are a world apart from what I was doing when I was that age. And uh, sometimes I'm amazed at, at what they what they know and what they've seen and how they manage it all so well. Well, the journey itself that you've made obviously is going to be a part of this answer, but how did this issue of divided America and our perception of that divide come to be something that was on your heart to such a degree that you wanted to launch this look at it that you've had with this book? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. Uh, you know, I think it, it kicked off a little bit when um, you may remember the book, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Um, from several years ago, J.D. Vance, uh, who talked about his experience in um, kind of the Appalachian South. And um, in some way, I, I really appreciated the book. I thought it was a great book. But one of the things that I noticed is the when it was picked up in the media, it uh, in the broader media, it became kind of the story that defined and described what it was like to live in kind of rural and small town America, uh, to use a term we used earlier, it became the single story for sort of white, lower middle class, rural, small town people. And as I was reading it, I remember thinking, this is a great book, but I don't really resonate with a lot of it. And so um, I'm not comfortable with this being the only sort of representation of what you know life is like in those kinds of places. But on the other hand, by the time I read that book, I had lived in the Chicago suburbs and I had lived, uh, you know, had, had begun living in Manhattan. And I recognized that the way people who I love and respect would talk about, you know, Chicagoans or about New Yorkers in these sort of blanket terms that were inaccurate. And I thought, you know, it's not just that the country gets middle America wrong. It's that middle America also gets you know, the, the, the rural America gets the suburbs wrong and the suburban America gets the cities wrong. And so I just had this sense that there were these places that I loved and that had shaped me and that I, and I felt like they were 
all being misrepresented in different areas. Um, and again, most specifically by Christian people who, instead of emphasizing the sort of our sameness in Christ, were emphasizing our difference in region. And so what I hoped that I could do is try to tell a story that didn't just defend one part of the country against another or say that one place is better than another, but really try to tell stories that helped readers um, see and experience at some level the uh, the value and kind of what the life is like on the ground in, in each of these pretty different places. You know, you do a great deal of research that you present in the book alongside the stories and the insight. Were there some things that you encountered that just really legitimately surprised you? Hmm. There is one data point that I find really interesting in a survey. Most Americans, regardless of where people lived, say rural Americans, for example, and urban Americans, um, they both feel that people who don't live in the kind of place that they live in don't understand my struggles and they don't understand what my life is like, etc. Right. So if you live in a rural place, you think the rest of the country misunderstands you. And if you live in an urban place, you think the rest of the country misunderstands you. Right. So that may not come as a big surprise, but, but the corresponding point that I find really interesting is that those same people in that same survey said that they believe they have a pretty good idea what life is like in other parts of the country. <laughs> so what that means is that everyone feels misunderstood, That uh, and I'm, obviously I'm generalizing, but that everybody feels misunderstood by the rest of the country, but at the same time they feel like they understand the rest of the country. Well, Mr. Brandon <laughs> O'Brien is with us today on Faith Radio's On the Road show. The book is called Not From Around Here, What Unites Us, What Divides Us, and How We Can Move Forward. You know, we discussed a little bit of the flip side of this coin in the discussion of Bentonville, but as a card-carrying member of Middle America myself, uh, <laughs> what do you think that we in Middle America really get wrong about our urban brethren? You had some some interesting insight into even why people on the street in Manhattan don't necessarily greet each other or acknowledge hmm. each other in a way that would would seem super rude in Peoria or in Duluth. <laughs> yeah, so uh yeah, it's interesting in the in the morning um commute especially. So I ride the subway. It's uh I won't tell you how far I go because it's sort of a little bit depressing uh if you do it in mileage, but uh I'm on the subway for about 35 minutes in the morning. Um on the morning commute, it's very quiet. People don't talk to each other. You don't really acknowledge each other. You know, you you just sort of get into the subway and you go to work. I think of it as it's sort of like when you go into a public bathroom, you're you're not in there together. You are in there with other people, but you're not, a, you know, it's not a group activity. You're just in there, you know. And so especially in the morning, the subway commute is still private time. You're just waking up and you've got a half hour. I love to use that time to read or journal or something. And so I'm not there to make friends, right? I'm there to just get ready for my day, the transition from home to work. And I think actually in that context, the longer I'm here, the more I think when someone does try to engage me or whatever, if it's a friendly hello, that's no big deal. But like I, I view it now as a real interruption when I, I lose that morning commute time. And so I think actually it's an act of generosity to kind of give people space in the morning. I've seen women putting on their makeup on the subway. I've seen men shaving with an electric razor on the subway. You know, like that's still it's still getting ready time. And so we just leave each other alone. And that can feel very awkward if you're not from around here. Um, I know when I first moved, I, I exhausted myself 
in the first few months, like trying to make eye contact and like nod at everyone that I passed on the sidewalk, you know, cause that was me trying to be polite. Yeah. Um, and learned pretty quickly that that's actually not polite. You just look like a weirdo. So, you know, it's best to just, you know, keep your eyes forward and go on. And I think what people may not realize though, is that if you have a need or if something happens, those same people uh, will engage you and they'll help you. So even this morning, I was getting on the subway and I dropped something, I didn't realize it, and two people stopped me and pointed at my notebook or whatever that I dropped to make sure that I saw it. And then they went back to their sort of solitary private time on the subway. Um, but they were they were quick to help, but still, you know, this is not together time. Um, my Anytime we had a stroller on the subway, people would offer to help us carry it up the stairs and all that kind of stuff. So mm. I think that it would be easy from the outside looking in to confuse that um, lack of interaction with rudeness when in reality it's, you know, you're just in proximity to so many people all the time that the, uh, you know, engaging them all in polite conversation is impossible. So you just don't really do it very often. And I think the other, another really important thing I've thought about a lot, and, and this isn't explicit in the book, but but I think it's between the lines is that in the media broadly, East Coast elites, you know, there's that sort of terminology. That's of right. The East Coast elites, liberal elites. You can kind of get the impression that everybody in New York City is a liberal elite. Um, and there's some interesting research, depends on how you define that term, elite. Um, but in, if you take it as the sort of top earners in, um, you know, in their different fields and kind of top leaders in different areas, um, the, the factor comes out to like 10% of the population of New York City is in that sort of elite category. Wow. Um, but that means that 90% of the people here are just trying to live their life like everybody else anywhere else in the country, right? That they're worried about paying for their kids' school. They're worried about, um, you know, the rent is going up and the groceries are expensive and do they have good access to health care and all of those kinds of things, right? The same kinds of things that people everywhere else worry about. The vast majority of New Yorkers are in the same boat. And yeah, they may be politically different. They may be ethnically different. Um, but a lot of the sort of the things that keep you up at night are pretty similar in a lot of uh, places around the country. Well, and that's what so much of the book is about, that the folks in urban and rural America and suburban America, which you talk about a lot, a great discussion about really this third category, but we have so much more in common than we realize. It, it is a really, really good read. The book, once again, is called Not From Around Here, What Unites Us, What Divides Us, and How We Can Move Forward. We've been talking with Mr. Brandon O'Brien. Just just a couple minutes left. We don't want to go anywhere without asking. I know the book is available. Many, if not all, locations where fine books are sold. But to learn more about the book, to learn more about you, where should we start, sir? People are welcome to visit my website, which is brandonjobrien.com. And uh, they can find a sample of the book there and some other resources that, it, that can help them engage with this topic. And um, and uh, Or send me a note uh, on the About page. And um, yeah, I'd love to connect. You know, just the waning moments here that we have together, it's a much bigger question than time will allow. But thankfully, the book really expands on it. How can, what are some ways that we can be part of the solution and not part of the problem going forward? Self-reflection. As I said, I think earlier in our conversation, I think it's really easy to see uh, how other Christians, for example, who live somewhere else, 
might have compromised their values to the culture. And then it's really hard for us to see how we've done the same thing. And um, so what I hope the book will do is help people to recognize, um, you know, how the places they live and the places that they love shape them and, and invite them to say, you know, in some of those, in some cases, it's a really good thing. In some cases, it's actually caused me to miss something important in my Christian life, and I need to reflect on that and maybe repent. And then I think the second thing is prayer. That um, I tell the story in the book of a, a time I was having trouble with a friend or a classmate at school, and I went home and complained to my mom, and I was hoping she'd be sympathetic. But she said, uh, "She said, well, let's pray. Let's pray for him," which is not what I wanted. I wanted her to, you know, gripe with me about him. Um, but we did. We prayed for him, and uh, we prayed for him regularly. And I don't remember any of the details, other than I do remember that the way I viewed him began to change. And so one of the things that I encourage in the book is that, you know, there is someone in your life who uh, maybe it's a relative that lives in a different place and you see each other just at holidays or you interact with each other just on social media or whatever. And that person's politics or whatever drive you crazy. I think what I would encourage you to do is instead of locking horns with that person and trying to prove that you're right and, to you know, argue the point to pray for them and to pray for them in the way that you pray for the people that you like and you love the best, right? That you would pray God's blessing in their life, that you would pray for, you know, uh, abundance in their work and fruitfulness and, you know, all those kinds of things, whatever you would pray for the people you love. And I, I believe that, that God will change your heart toward that person. And that when, when he changes your heart toward that person, then other things will change as well. Man, how about that for some practical full of wisdom words to end with one more time it's called not from around here what unites us what divides us and how we can move forward mr brandon o'brien on this edition of on the road what an absolute treat to have you sir really enjoyed it oh thank you so much it's been my pleasure thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of faith radios on the road for more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road. Programming like this happens because of your incredible support. You can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. And we'd be so glad to connect with you during the week on social media. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at OnTheRoadRyan. Until next time, God bless you, my friend.